Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. It's December already. I can't believe it. I know. And this look, crazy year has flown by. It has. <laughs> and then it's also a bit like time has been weird. Right, right. Yeah. I remember when, back in June, I said, Laura, is it Wednesday or is it July? You know, who knows yeah. what time it is. But it is the holiday season now, which is kind of different in Southern California because it's warm outside. And when we first moved here, it was hard to get used to the fact that, you know, people were decorating their palm trees with lights and that it was so warm. Now we love it. (laughs) Right, right. And the thought of chipping ice off your car and sitting, getting into a car seat where your your rear end just freezes. (laughs) Don't bum out our Midwestern friends. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. Have a good Christmas, everybody. Remember the time I had a pickup truck and... One time we came outside and it had rained and then it froze in the back of the truck here in Southern California. And our kids had never seen ice just frozen somewhere. And they said, who put ice in our truck? (laughs) (laughs) They are Southern California girls. Right. Speaking of our kids, that's one thing I'm going to miss this year. Every year our church did an original kids Christmas pageant. And it was written by one of our ministers, Reverend Michael Kosick. He would have several of the musicians in the church write original songs for it. Right. Yes. I was honored to get to write some songs for those shows. They were really good. Yeah. They, it was It was always so fun. And our kids participated every year. I, it was one of the things they really looked forward to. Right. And now, we've, it's been going for over 20 years. So some of the kids that are performing it now are the children of the kids that were in it when we first came to church. Wow, we are old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we have some great memories from those Christmas pageants past. The year one of the wise women barfed in her box of myrrh. That was a good one. She was very subtle. It was off. It was off to the side of the stage, and then she just handed her box off. To yeah, the she opened the box, puked in it, and handed it to the minister. And that's put, that's some stage presence from a right. young child. <laughs> we bring gold, frankincense, and. <laughs> And how about the time um, Mary and Joseph, they were very young, Mary and Joseph, and they had to sit on the stage for a long time during a song. Well, a long time, a couple minutes. A long time for four-year-olds. Right. right. And Mary started picking her nose. There, yes. She was holding the baby Jesus and picking her nose. Yeah. And then the very controversial year when one of the parents gave the sheep whiskers and there was great outcry about the sheep having whiskers because it made them look like cats. Right. Great, big, fluffy (laughs) cats. So um, they never had whiskers again, though, after that. You know what? We've just created a great segue to the story for this episode. Like we knew what we were doing. (laughs) But we ruined it by saying, hey, this is a segue. (laughs) Aren't we clever? (laughs) 
So, last episode, I told a story I'd written back in 2003 called The Turkey Memoirs. It inspired me, and I found an old story I'd written about a living nativity scene in a small town where they have a whole pageant that goes with it, and it goes off the rails. And it's really fun. So, that will be our story for this episode. So, it's a two-part story. We're going to hear the first part today. Here it is, part one of Oh, Holy Night. Any preacher worth his salt knows that as the temperatures rise during the hot summer months, attention spans get shorter, and the church service better be shorter, too. On the other hand, if it's too short, the congregation will think you're not doing your job. Less than 50 minutes is too short, and over an hour is too long. That hot August morning, I started the benediction at 55 minutes, well within the range of acceptability. As I stood at the back of the sanctuary afterwards, accepting the obligatory compliments on my sermon, Olivia Range scurried up and pulled me into the narthex. Reverend Bond, it's time to get the planning committee together for the living nativity scene. Olivia, it's August. Reverend, do not underestimate our living nativity scene. It is a spectacle that is talked about throughout the state of Illinois and parts of Missouri, and one of the most powerful tools of evangelism in the Baptist Church arsenal. I assume the search committee explained that to you before they sent the call to have you come join us. I vaguely recalled a mention of the live nativity scene during my interview process, but I never considered it to be one of the most powerful tools of evangelism in the Baptist Church arsenal. To be honest, I was not even aware that our church had an evangelism arsenal. But as I looked in the eyes of Olivia Range, I knew this was not a matter to be taken lightly. Our first committee meeting was September 3rd, and I was amazed how smoothly it ran. Within a half hour, Olivia Range was elected as the artistic director, and Bob Grizzle agreed to construct the stable with some help from the FFA boys at the high school. Oh, for those of you not familiar with the Future Farmers of America, they're basically Boy Scouts with manure on their boots. Before we adjourned, Olivia announced her plan to have the living nativity scene come inside the church as the finale for the Christmas Eve service. She said, They will assemble near the pulpit on the altar, creating a tableau, a final image for the congregation to take with them as they head out into the night. When I voiced my reservations about having live animals inside the church, Olivia said, Oh, I did the same thing two years ago with the Lions Club presentation of The Wizard of Oz, and they had a real live Toto. No one else objected, and the meeting was adjourned in under an hour. All committee meetings should go that fast. I made it home in time to watch Lawrence Welk with Clara. The next morning when I walked into the office, my secretary, Joanne, had on her funeral face. So I knew someone had died or was about to. What's the matter, Joanne? Horace and Dottie Crone are in your office. They're very concerned about putting the living nativity scene in the Christmas Eve service. Suddenly I realized the funeral face was for me. In my short time at First Baptist, I had come to realize that Horace very often called the shots around here. He was one of the oldest congregants, he was on the deacon's board, and was a major financial contributor. 
But how in the world did Horace know about last night's meeting? He's not on the committee. I hadn't even told Clara yet. When I walked into my office, Horace Crone was sitting in my chair behind my desk, finishing up a conversation on my phone. He motioned for me to have a seat next to Dottie. Tom, it's a hardware store, and I hired you to run it. It's called supply and demand, Tom. I demand you keep a supply of sixteen-penny nails in my store, so order em. He hung up and leaned back in my chair. Reverend Dottie and I have been fit to be tied ever since we got the news about Olivia Range's living nativity scene. Bringing live animals into the sanctuary will turn our Christmas Eve service into a circus. Well, the birth of the baby Jesus is a joyous event. Maybe we need a little more of that. Reverend, have you considered what will happen when one of the animals decides to do his business inside the sanctuary? You can't have clowns with scoop shovels following them like the horses in the Fourth of July parade. Well, he had me there. I had not even envisioned the possibility of a cow pie on the altar. I quickly recovered. Oh, I'm sure our director has taken that into consideration. Reverend Olivia Range is a real problem here. I'll just say it outright. She's jealous of my wife. Every year, Dottie and Wanda Clark sing Old Holy Night as a duet for the Christmas Eve service they have never missed in 45 years. Dottie piped in. Never missed. 45 years. Horace, I'm sure Olivia has no plans to end such an important tradition. You need to understand something, Reverend. Olivia Range cannot stand the fact that the Christmas Eve service is more important than the living nativity scene, which is just a bunch of farmers dressed up in bathrobes pretending to be nomads. Reverend, there is something else. Olivia thinks her daughter Dusty should be singing in church. Dusty used to sing with the youth group, but now she's in a country-western band called Dusty Range and the Farmhand Pickers. <sighs> they play in bars. Without another word, they both got up and walked out. I wish I had told Horace how petty he was being, and that Olivia was probably not a bit jealous of Dottie and had no intention of removing the duet from the Christmas Eve service. Joanne quietly walked in and handed me two phone messages. She still had on her funeral face. The first message read, Olivia Range called and wants to talk to you about not having Wanda and Dottie sing at the Christmas Eve service. The second message was, Tom the janitor called. He's sick today, but he wanted you to know that the toilet in the ladies' bathroom in the basement is stopped up again. Through my experiences as a minister, I have concluded that well-intentioned church leaders and plumbing issues have a lot in common. They can be two of the biggest stumbling blocks to effective ministry. In some ways, I think Jesus had it easier. First of all, no plumbing. And secondly, his followers were a bunch of outcasts who were grateful to be part of the kingdom of heaven. They would never sit in Jesus' chair and tell him how to run the church. I took a look at the two notes on my desk, and I decided I'd put off the dirty work until later, so I headed to the basement to unclog the toilet. That was a battle I had a chance of winning. When I came back upstairs, victorious, by the way, Joanne still had on her funeral face. 
She pointed to my office door and whispered, Olivia Range. Upon entering my office, I was relieved to see that Olivia was not sitting behind my desk in my chair on my phone. But I could tell she was ready to get down to brass tacks. Reverend, I have been in the theater business since I was a little girl. I was a featured soloist eight times with the St. Louis Area Free Choir, and I have directed productions for the Lions Club, the Rotary, and the DAR. I know what I'm talking about when I say, while our Christmas Eve service has many wonderful elements, the ending is a stinker, and I'm not the only one that feels that way. So, to incorporate the living nativity scene as the new ending to the service, we will need to chop out the old holy night duet. Dottie and Wanda used to do a respectable job, but now that their voices have aged, it's not pretty. Olivia, the Bible doesn't ask us to be perfect at what we do, but to do it in the right spirit. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You have hit the nail on the head, Reverend. It's not music, it's noise. I think you missed my point, Olivia. I've been the senior minister here for less than a year, and if there's one thing I learned at seminary, it's that a new minister cannot change things too quickly. It gives the appearance that he doesn't respect the work that's been going on for years before he came. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. I understand Dottie and Horace have already gotten to you this morning, haven't they? No. Well, yes, they were here, but they didn't get to me. Olivia. If we cancel the duet outright, there will be resentment. But believe you me, if you bring the living nativity scene inside the church during the Christmas Eve service, it'll be such a moving experience that come planning time next year, the duet will not even be a topic of discussion. Oh, Reverend, that's brilliant. Say no more. She gave me a knowing wink and left my office. I was relieved, even though her wink concerned me a bit. Over the next couple of months, the Living Nativity Scene Planning Committee continued to move forward. Casting was a bigger task than I had anticipated. We had plenty of budding female actresses, but the men were not that interested in dressing up in bathrobes and standing outside in a freezing cold stable while their neighbors walked by and stared. But never doubt Olivia Range's powers of persuasion. She had a full cast by first rehearsal. Meanwhile, I had to focus on other matters, like the fall fund drive, Thanksgiving service, and Horace Crone. I decided to take the direct approach and went out to Horace's farm to pay a visit. The Crone Dairy is only fifteen miles out of town as a crow flies, but it took me a good half hour to navigate those country roads. Along the way, I noticed that every mailbox for several miles had either been knocked off its post or beaten up badly. I asked Horace about it when I arrived. Every couple of months or so, some hooligans get liquored up on beer and drive down the road with a baseball bat smashing mailboxes. They pushed out the stop sign on the south road, too. I'd like to catch those troublemakers in the act. I'd teach them a lesson or two. He'd gotten himself pretty worked up about the hoodlums, so I was relieved when his rant was interrupted by the sound of the screen door on the house slamming and Dottie's signature soprano voice singing out, Jeremiah, it's time! Jeremiah, it's time! 
a young Holstein calf ran out of the barn and straight towards Dottie. He almost knocked her down trying to get to the bottle of milk in her hand. Horace explained. Jeremiah was a twin calf, and normally the smaller one doesn't make it. Well, Dottie started feeding him, and they've become pretty attached to each other. After he finished the bottle, Jeremiah followed her around like a puppy dog. It was one of the sweetest things I've ever seen. Then Horace asked the question he'd been waiting to ask ever since I arrived, maybe even before I arrived. So, what's going on with the living activity scene? Did you straighten out Olivia Range? I had already practiced several scenarios of how this conversation would go, but in the moment, I abandoned them all. I had the answer right in front of me. Horace, Olivia has assured me that she could pull this off if, and only if, we have the right animal to lead the others, an innocent creature that could represent the humble beginnings of the Christ child. I think little Jeremiah is the perfect choice. Before Horace could protest, Dottie jumped in. Oh, Reverend, he would be perfect! I had won that little battle. I know pride is one of the seven deadly sins, but I was feeling pretty darn proud of myself. On the way home, I pulled over to look at the uprooted stop sign at what I assumed was the South Road. I was curious how someone would pull out a stop sign. I had watched a lot of Charlie Chan mysteries and considered myself an amateur detective, so I started piecing together the evidence at the crime scene. I determined that the hoodlums had put their front bumper against the sign and hit the gas. Crude, but effective. I was about to leave when I noticed a piece of metal in the dirt. I picked it up and brushed it off. Well, look at that. The hoodlums lost their front license plate. I threw it in the trunk of my car and headed back into town. Now, my original plan was to take it to the sheriff, but curiosity got the best of me. I decided to hold on to it for a few days and look for the hoodlum car and solve this mystery myself, then turn the vandal in to the sheriff. I was intrigued by the mystery, plus our sheriff was not very motivated when it came to actual law enforcement. He was better at drinking coffee at the local diner all day. When I told Olivia about Jeremiah, she was not pleased. A young bull calf was not her first casting choice. Jesus is the Lamb of God, not the calf of God. But with no young lambs auditioning, Jeremiah got the role. Olivia needed someone in the cast to be in charge of Jeremiah, so she made arrangements for Dennis Tuttle, who had been cast as the little drummer boy, to go out to the Crone Dairy several times to feed Jeremiah so they could bond. Now, Dennis was not your traditional eight- or nine-year-old little drummer boy. No, Dennis was a senior in high school. Olivia cast him because he was tiny for his age, and insisted that she wanted a real drummer for the role. The fact that he played in a rock and roll band did not concern Olivia. Oh, it concerned Horace Crone, though. That boy has no business representing First Baptist. He never comes to church. He's a deadbeat with no job, and he plays the devil's music. You need to get Olivia Range in line. Well, I had no intentions of getting Olivia Range in line. The last man to try that was her ex-husband, Leonard. He's still on the prayer list, by the way. When it came time to have Dennis visit Jeremiah, I figured I'd better go with him in case Horace caused a problem. 
I had planned on driving, but when Dennis pulled up in front of the church in an old beat-up Ford sedan, he motioned for me to get in. Dennis was so short he could barely see over the steering wheel, and when I got in, I noticed that he was sitting on a couple lawn chair cushions, and he had blocks of wood on the pedals so he could reach them. I wasn't sure what Dennis and I would talk about on the drive, but it turns out that conversation was nearly impossible. Between a missing muffler and the radio blaring out rock and roll music, we couldn't hear each other if we wanted to talk. He knew the back roads better than me, so he took a completely different route than I had. And he drove like a bat out of... Well, he drove fast. I wasn't even sure we were headed the right way until we got to the road I recognized as the South Road and the corner where the stop sign was still missing. Dennis came flying up to the corner, so I hollered out a warning. Oh, there's supposed to be a stop sign here, but some hooligans pushed it out. Dennis stopped where the sign should have been. With the engine idling, I could actually hear his mumbled response. What'd you say? I said you better be careful. The stop sign is missing. Yeah, I know, he muttered as he left the gravel road and peeled out on the black top. I was surprised that a kid raised in town would know the back road so well. But I was grateful that he drove. He made it to the crone farm ten minutes quicker than I had. When we got there, Horace was in the fields working, so we didn't have to deal with him. Dottie handed Dennis the milk bottle and called for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, it's time! The calf came tearing out of the barn. All he could see was a bottle, and he headed straight for it. Dennis was terrified and took off running for his car with Jeremiah on his heels. Dennis jumped onto the hood of his beater Ford. Jeremiah put his hooves on the front bumper and lunged at Dennis. What do I do? Dottie rolled her eyes. Feed him the bottle. Dennis inched towards the calf until he got close enough that he could touch Jeremiah's nose with the bottle. Jeremiah grabbed hold and started drinking. As the bottle emptied, Dennis began to relax and even enjoy the process. And for the first time, I saw Dennis let down his guard and give us a glimpse of the little boy inside the sulking teenager. Dottie could see it, too. It was a sweet moment. I was just thinking that this would make a great picture when I saw something. It was barely noticeable at first, but once I saw it, it was glaring. The beater Ford was missing the front license plate. Suddenly it all came together. Dennis was the hoodlum who had pushed out the stop sign. Oh, I am totally hooked. I can't wait to see what happens next. That's great, because you actually know what happens next. But I'm pretending like I'm an audience you, member. Oh, you're speaking. You're the voice of the listener. Exactly. I get it. I get it. Well, that's the first half of the story, and the second half will be in our next episode. That's all we're going to say for now. We'll see you then for part two of Oh, oh Holy, Holy Night. Night. Wow, that's a good segue. Huh? That is a good segue.